You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. My name's Stan Hayek. Going to be one of the pastors here on staff. So we are going through kind of an anthem mini-series. We're going to start in the book of Exodus. We really feel comfortable preaching through just a book of the Bible at a time. Because then as a pastor, you're saying, well, this is what God's word said. It's not me having to make something up. And so today I'm going to try and anchor in Acts 2 to kind of talk about how we do things as a church. And so it's kind of the intro to Anthem miniseries. And so last week, Luke talked about um, just kind of the vision of Anthem Church. And a quick recap on that, because I would say, hey, just go back and listen to it except you can't because we deleted the audio file on accident, which is a bummer because some of you guys were here like, that was a really good sermon. Uh, and for those that heard it, that's, that's the last it'll be heard of. So quick recap, I'll try and do it justice. I'm, I'm not Luke, but, but looking at the life of Peter, you really see that as Peter got to know Jesus, the more he knew him, the more he was able to really love him, and then obedience followed. And so you got to know God in order to really love him and obey. And sometimes as a church, we get this wrong. We're like, you need to obey. You need to obey. And we never take the time like, man, if you knew God and perhaps motivated by love, you'd obey. And Luke kind of had that one line in there that obedience is love in action. Like obedience is really just love being played out. And so I don't know why it took you 35 minutes to say all that, Luke, but that's pretty much the sermon right there. Um, know, love, and obey. So that's our big vision is we want to help people know, love, and obey Jesus. But now practically, what's that look like? Well, that's where kind of the mission comes in. Practically, what is it going to look like? So the vision is to help people know, love, and obey Jesus. Another way to say that is to help people love God, love people. That whole uh, vision is not unique to Anthem Church. In fact, most churches have something like that. Love God, love people, help people, you know, know Jesus. Um, Most people, in fact, when we were starting a church in Cedar Falls, Iowa, about three and a half years ago, we were walking with one of our college students, you know, and we're like, man, this is the vision of our church. She's like, well, (laughs) there's another church in town that already has that vision. So (laughs) to which I'm like, do you want me to create a new one? Like, what are you, we're pretty limited here, right? Like, we're all pretty much going to have that same vision, but how that gets played out, that's where churches start to, to get a little bit of variation. And so that's in the mission. The mission is where you're going to see a little bit of variety. And so you think of the different kinds of churches that say, we want to help people really love God. And so therefore, they say, we're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus, more of like the humanitarian church. It's like, we're going to go uh, provide tangible needs. You see churches that are like, we want people to really love God, so we're going to do church excellently. We're going to have all the sweet, shiny things, and we're going to really um, make it amazing on Sundays. People with kind of different mission might say, we want authentic church. So in the face of like really big, shiny church, like we just want to be authentic, man. You know, like we want to be real. And uh, so that's kind of a movement. You could have more of a seeker-friendly church that maybe you've seen the church, like we're going to play some secular songs on the front end and understand the concept behind that. It's like we want to just ease people in. We don't want to push people away. And so that's a way to do church. 
You can have like the, I don't know what to call it, like the smarty pants church. Like these are like the people that author books and are really intellectual and very contrary to like the, the seeker friendly. They're like, we're just going to dive in and you just brace yourself. Anthem, I don't know what would be said by those on the outside. I know what we're shooting for and that's kind of what we're going to talk through today. There's a lot of ways to, again, vision to help people know, love, and obey Jesus, but there's a lot of different ways, a lot of different missions one can be on. And so we're going to look at, again, this mission is going to spring from the Great Commission. And you don't have to turn there, but Matthew 28, Jesus said, I'm about to go the way, or he said, I'm about to go. And so he said, make disciples, teach them to obey in the name of Father, Son, and baptize them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so Jesus commissioned his disciples. He said, go and make disciples. In Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. He's saying, go, make disciples. And so if you're taking notes, simply put, our mission is to make disciples that make disciples. That's the, really the commission Jesus gave to his disciples. He said, okay, I've discipled you for these years. Now go and make disciples. So we find it in the Bible, and we think, that's a pretty good one to latch on to, Right? That the great commission. And so our mission is the one that he gave the disciples a couple thousand years ago is to make disciples that make disciples. And at this point, you know, I, we still didn't differentiate ourselves from a lot of different churches and ministries. There's different churches and ministries that'd be like, yeah, that's us too. In fact, we're going to talk. So before I can talk more about the mission of making disciples that make disciples, I have to talk about the mode, like how that gets done. Because you could say, like, for example, it, it kind of it's assumed, like, man, you want to really raise godly children. And I'm looking at it, you guys going to have a kid soon. And, you know, it's like, okay, raise godly children. One of the assumed, like, modes by which that would happen is through a loving mother and father, right? <laughs> like, it's just assumed. But in theory, you could perhaps raise godly children, like, by birthing them and like handing them off to like a wet nurse. And then you hand them off to like a Sunday school. Like you could maybe like, you know, get compartmentalize that and, and raise godly children. But one of the assumes is like, no, there's a mom and there's a dad and that's how godly children are raised. And I want to say with the great commission, we're going to look at the mode, how that actually gets played out. We're going to be able to look at our Bible and see how is that supposed to happen? Because here's the reality, I was able to have a conversation with um, some fellow ministry people. I won't say in what town or where or what, uh, but was able to have a conversation with a group of young uh, ministry people and really enjoying the conversation. We're talking about the vision, we're talking about the mission, and things are like pretty synced up, but there's this nagging feeling like, like something's not quite right. Did you have that? right? And I couldn't, for the life of me, place it. <laughs> and then I did and, uh, and just blurted out um, in that, like it, it clicked in my head. And like before it fully registered, like it starts coming out of my mouth. And uh, you could pray for me that I'd have more tact because once it clicked, I'm like, oh, what you're doing is not in the Bible. Like, you, where do you, <laughs> I think the exact phrase is like, where do you find the biblical freedom to do what you're doing, right? You feel that awkwardness? We all did at that point, right? Like, it was, it was awkward. And, uh, and just like the, the, the challenge, again, I, 
love those, those guys, but I believe they're dedicating their life of ministry through a mode that's just not found in the Bible. And I meant when I said I still believe it that, that I, I appreciate it, but, but again, it's just not biblical. And I feel a conviction that we don't have the freedom to take something that was clearly intended, parenting, and, and like sell it off to some other way. And when it comes to ministry, accomplishing the vision and the mission, I'm saying there's very clearly a mode by which that's to be done. At least I think as we open the Bible, there's clearly a mode by which that is to be accomplished. And so what does that say? Well, we can read the Bible, and I said Acts 2 is kind of where we'd be anchoring. This is immediately following. So Matthew 28, this is the last words of Jesus, and then we go into the book of Acts, and Jesus told them, hey, just remain here. The Holy Spirit's going to come. And then we're going to start the ministry. And so in Acts chapter 2, uh, I'll start. These aren't on the screen quite yet. But you see in Acts chapter 2, they're there and they're praying. And uh, in verse 11, we see that um, the Holy Spirit kind of comes upon them and they start speaking in tongues. And again, they're, they're speaking in the tongues of all these people that have been here for this festival, Pentecost. They were all in town. Everybody had come to Jerusalem. And again, this is where Jesus was crucified just days before. And he spent, then he resurrected 40 days and he'd been taken up. And so we're not that far from where they had crucified Jesus. And here all these people come to town and God's Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples and those praying. And so they start to speak in tongues and start to proclaim the good works of God. And so that gift of tongues in that case allowed them to be heard by the foreigners. In fact, the foreigners in that time are saying, wait, aren't all these men Jews? But yet each of us hear them speaking in our native language. And again, in verse 11, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And then Peter stands up amongst all that and starts preaching. Again, the context, they just killed Jesus. And here Peter, with boldness, gets up and starts preaching. What does he tell the crowd? Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man uh, attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him and in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan of the foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. He's going to go on in verse uh, uh, 36. We got this on the screen. He says, Let all the house of Israel there, uh, therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. You understand the context of the sermon? He's looking out at the people that would have been there saying, crucify him, crucify him. And he's like, all y'all crucified the son of God. We clear on that? Like there's Jesus, or, uh, Peter preaching with a level of boldness. And what's it say after verse 36? It goes on. Now when they, this crowd, and you're gonna see it is a crowd. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? You want to think that that sermon stuck? <laughs> you imagine that? They just cut him off. They're like, cut to the heart. Of the what do we got to do? How does he respond? And Peter said to them, repent. That means turn. 
from your wickedness. Turn. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, this promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who were received uh, his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Okay, time out. <laughs> you get that? Here's originally just a couple, you know, just 100 people, I think, after uh, Jesus' um, resurrection, praying in an upper room. And so you've got the disciples and kind of this small group of people. Peter preaches. They're cut to the heart. They ask him what they need to do. He says, repent and get baptized. You want to talk about an effective sermon? 3,000 people give their life to Jesus and get baptized. Like, I wonder if they had to fill out like the online application for baptism or like they just went down seemingly to the river and baptize them. I mean, that's how you plan a church right there, right? Like that is effective. And so um, it goes on. What did they do then? In verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had uh, all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having uh, favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Okay, what do we see? We see that they devoted themselves upon being saved, being baptized. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that biblical teaching. They met in homes. They shared meals. There was no option in the early church to isolate yourself. Right? There was no like, you know, I'll just get the Bible app, and I'm just, I'm just going to do church at home today, you know, maybe in my underwear, just kind of hang out, listen to podcasts. It's like, you didn't have that option. Like, if you wanted to hear what God's word had to say, you had to go and listen to the men that walked with Jesus if you wanted to hear what God's word had to say. So isolating yourself as an early Christian was not even an option, right? You were pushed to community just by default of what was going on. And again, what you're looking at is the church in Jerusalem. And it's Acts 2. It's not an isolated incident. Once you go on and you continue reading the book of Acts, you see that wherever the disciples went, churches sprung up. So if the disciples went and they made disciples in Ephesus, a church started in Ephesus. If they went over to Rome, a church sprung up in Rome. And in fact, Paul on his missionary journeys not only saw these churches get started, but he would come back around and appoint elders in the churches. The level of care that he would write letters, not only to the church in Ephesus, the church in Rome, but Corinth, Galatia, uh, Philippi, Colossae, Thessalonica. He, do you understand the care that it wasn't just like a, all about evangelism, but the, the starting of churches and the care for those churches? And why? Why is carrying out the vision of helping know, uh, people know, love, and obey Jesus tied so strongly to the local church. Man, again, Scripture in Ephesians 3, we studied this in the fall, 
3.10 says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God may be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The church is gonna really put Christ on display. And so it's that coming together of all the believers, all the different gifts that puts Jesus on display. In fact, you continue to read the New Testament, you're gonna see a letter written to, to Titus, who would have been a pastor, uh, First and Second Timothy. Jesus would tell, tell Peter, Upon you, I'm going to build my church, the book of Revelation. Even after that, we, we see the book of Revelation were prophetic messages to the church in Laodicea, Sardis, uh, Philadelphia. It continues. In fact, if you, if you took the church out of the New Testament, you would pretty much lose most all of it. Do you understand that? If you took the church out of the New Testament, you would lose all the epistles. You would lose a good chunk, uh, even even later on in, in the, the book of Revelation, we see Jesus coming back for his bride, the church. And so you can't read these as an individual kind of self-help. You have to read them within the context that they're written to a church, a body of believers. I think that's why when I wanted to, to preach this and, and talk about, hey, this is, our, this is our mission and this is how we kind of do it. This idea of mode I realize is no longer an assumed as it would have been in their culture. In fact, more so today than ever, we see ministry taken out of its biblical context, the local church, and kind of done elsewhere. And again, hear me clearly say that ministry can, can function outside the local church. In fact, oftentimes the, the, the phrase for ministry being done outside the local church is parachurch ministry. Para means alongside of or with. In fact, we've got people within our church that do kind of ministry things, be it counseling or be it apologetics or seminary things, that really come alongside the church to build the church up. It's kind of like a, a, a bridesmaid at a wedding, right? The bridesmaid's job, from the way I understand it, I've only been a groomsman, never had the privilege of being a bridesmaid, but the way I understand it is, is a bridesmaid is there to really support the bride, to, to, to have their back, to, to, to take care of things, right? That's the role of a bridesmaid. That's the role of parachurch ministry is to come alongside the bride. Now, when the bridesmaid insists on going on the honeymoon, you have an issue, right? <laughs> Not your role. <laughs> like, stops there. Like, there's... there's ministry that is reserved for the local church. And so when outside ministry begins to act like the local church and function like the local church, even like, well, we're not the local church. We're just doing what the local church should do. Like, whoa, like whether you want to say it or not, that's where, again, in this conviction is when you look at scripture, you see God's plan is through the local church. Why? Reason one, because he said so. <laughs> like, that should be reason enough. Like, why did God choose the local church? Why does Jesus call it his bride? Why did he say that those spiritual gifts that are given are to be used to build up the body? God said so. And if that's not reason enough, I believe God's commands make sense. Right? God's commands make sense. There's a reason God commands things. And when it comes to the church, you're going to see because I think there's a, there's a leadership element within the local church. 
where it's the acknowledgement that there's godly leaders that are helping run the thing, that it's not dependent upon you know, a director at that time, and if that director leaves, ministry might fold with him. There's a stability that comes through plurality of godly leadership that comes with the church. There's, a, there's something beautiful about all ages of people getting together, and you get the zeal of young men and women paired with the wisdom and the gray hair of the older generation. That's a beautiful thing, right? If, the, if those separated, and, and it's like, well, we're just going to really bottle up, and all the older people are going to go to here, and you would lose something. And so there's something beautiful about the church, how it comes together. And again, those gifts in Ephesians 4.12 are equipped uh, to equip the saints for the works of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so we see early on in the book of Acts, and it's carried through, that ministry, this mode, this mission, gets carried out through the local church. And until somebody opens up the Bible and shows me where there's something I'm not seeing, that's the conviction that we're going to strongly have and say, the local church. The local church is plan A, and there is no really good plan B in place. And I'd say it strongly, when it comes to raising godly children, plan A is godly parents. Plan B, not necessarily ideal. And hear me, in light of not having godly parents, big brother, big sister programs, all day long, right? I, I can understand that. I can get there. But when mom and dad come to town and they're saying, hey, we know we haven't been great, but we're going to try. And I think the local church has blown it on so many accounts. But I'm saying, as a church, we need to own the ministry that's before us. That's why you're going to see, like on our schedule this, uh, this spring, we're saying we got to love this community. We can't just write a check and say, somebody, somebody out there ought to take care of some of these, these people in need. That's our job. Hey, there's kids that, that, are, that need adopted, that need godly. Where can we? That's our job. <laughs> These college students, man, they're zealous. They break everything. Ugh. That's our job. <laughs> the church. You can't just sell out and let somebody else do it. It's the, the function of the church. That's the, the mode that God has given us and is, is not only prescribed, but is, is described throughout the New Testament. You can't get away from that. And so what basic it makes a church, it's a group of people that commit, that, that love Jesus, been baptized, that commit to meeting together regularly, that worship, that preach the Bible, even celebrate communion, and has leadership. That's a church, Right? If you're like, well, we do those things, like we get together and we do those things, but no one preaches. Well, that's a concert. Like if, 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 if we're like, oh, we do those things, it's just once a year. That's a conference, right? It's not the church. And we do those things, but, but it's just a specific group and we really don't have Bible leadership. Like that's a club. You got to, believers getting together regularly for worship, preaching, communion with biblical leadership, that's a church. That gets you in the door. It's kind of like me going to the golf course, right? If I take gloves, cl uh, sorry, clubs, golf clubs, and I have a white ball, and I'm on a golf course, I've met the requirements of being a golfer. 
I never said I was a good golfer, but for somebody looking in, there's like, clearly he's not a grounds crew guy. Clearly he's not a caddy. Like he's got his clubs. He's got a ball. He's on the golf course, right? So I've met the minimum requirements of golfer. If you've done those things, you met the minimum requirements of church. Now, if you take away the minimum, like you take away the, the clubs and the ball and I'm just on a golf course, now I'm just creepy, right? Like if you're out on a golf course with like none of the, the golf stuff, like, all right. So what's the minimum? We've got the minimum. So given that, here's where you start to see like distinction between churches is, is in that mission getting played out. And so more specifically, we just kind of call this our method. What's the method that we're going to use? And this is perhaps a little bit more specific to Anthem, but it's three C's. Celebrate, connect, contribute. Celebrate, connect, contribute. Three C's, right? So we were even, you know, when you're trying to name a church, man, naming four girls is hard enough. Like you get to the end, you're like, you pick, honey. I don't know. Like naming a church is challenging. In fact, at one point, it was offered up like, maybe we should name it three C's, you know, because like we're about the three C's. But then like for me, like maybe I'm immature, but like I was thinking, all I can think about when I think of three C's is like pirates or something. Like in like telling my wife, I'm like going to go to work at three C's. Like, I was like Arr! you know, like, like we're not calling it the three C's. Um, but we really do love these. We feel like it really frames in the how we're going to do church how we're going to make disciples and make disciples, how we're practically going to do that, we feel like it really revolves around these three C's. And so we'll start with the first one, which is celebrate. Celebrate. I, I made a slide, so if you need to know how to spell celebrate, um, there's nothing else that goes with it. But So you're going to have to take notes from there. Celebrate. Uh, and this is, when we say celebrate, we mean this. The corporate gathering of God's people. When you look in Acts 2, we see that they got together and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They loved worship at that point too. In fact, I think it's even in Philippi when, when uh, they're in prison, Paul's in prison, they're singing hymns. And so this idea of getting together as God's people to celebrate together. And so we really mean uh, the context of Sunday mornings or, or we do this as well with Salt Company on uh, on Thursday nights, it's our celebrate kind of service. And so there should be kind of most weeks, at least, a joyous kind of upbeat, like we're together. And in our celebrate service, we understand that we're going to have people that don't love Jesus that are going to come in here. But the primary motivation for church, who we're doing that for, is for believers. And we understand that, that people are going to come in. In fact, so many stories come in like this. They say, man, I thought I had my perceptions of church, but then I showed up on Sunday and I saw different people from all different walks of life and they were really seemingly enjoying God. And it made me begin to question where I was at. And it starts a process. And so celebrate is really kind of like the first step. Like people come, I'm looking at people like, this is your story. All right, you come, you celebrate and you're like, huh all right, like, I'd like to get to know a little bit more. And so celebrate. You see uh, the importance of worship in that in Psalm 100. Again, Colossians, he would tell, uh, I think the Hebrews, like, uh, that's going to be on the next one too, but, but don't give up meeting together. And so celebrate is kind of the, the first thing, and we want to do this well. And I'd say as a church plant, by nature, 
is probably one of the hardest things to do, <laughs> is to celebrate well. Uh, you just don't have as large of a talent pool as you do like when you're a 3,000-person church. And you're like, I'll take this musician and that. Like, like, but we want to do it well. We're committed. In fact, I didn't even give a shout-out. Like, we've got drums. Do you know why? Because Nick Parker took the month of December to teach himself how to play the drums so that we could get better in our Celebrate service. Yeah, you can clap for him. Like that's, but that's, that's what happened. You did not play the drums. And you're like, we want to do better. We want to have a more full sound. God is worthy of that expression of worship. So he's like, I'll teach myself how to play the drums. Okay, like I could say that, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> like that whole 2B thing. But, but we want to celebrate well. We want to celebrate well. We don't want to, to just be like, really, oh, we're really connected, but we just really don't celebrate God well on a Sunday. And so we want to teach the Bible well. We want to worship well. We want to do these communion together. We want to celebrate baptisms. We want Sunday to be an expression where like, man, we would want people to come because here they'd get a snapshot of that God is good. He's worthy of being pursued. And so that's why we want to celebrate together. The next C is connect. Connect. And when we say that, we really mean that this is where you kind of have the smaller gatherings. In Acts 2, we see that they went to homes and they broke bread together and they shared that community. So if you just celebrated with us, that would be good. But where are you going to really interact with the sermon? Where are you going to really interact with other people? And so that's where these connection groups come in. We really want to connect. And that's more than just a Bible study, some intellectual activity. And it's more than just a hangout. It's intentionally, we want to connect with God. We want to connect with other people. And so this is honestly where so much of the growth happens. If, if people start out by kind of coming to a celebrate service, and they say, man, that was great. I, I think I, you guys aren't a cult, and, and that's my neighbor. I suppose I can go to their house. Like They go into a connection group, and that's where you really start to get more people interaction and get to interact with things. right? We want to connect, and connection groups are one of the best forms, but even one-on-ones, you know, to be able to ask those questions, right? So if Leah's going to raise her hand and interrupt me during sermon, like that's not ideal. But if you want to come over and talk with my wife and ask those questions, that's a better context. And so we want to connect. And a way to connect with God and connect with others is through connection groups. In fact, we would say 80% of the people celebrating with us, we want to have in a connection group. They're like, well, if it's so important, why don't you have 100%? Well, if it was 100%, that would mean we have no new people coming in that are checking us out. Does that make sense? If it was 100, if everybody was just connected, it'd mean we're just a bunch of like kind of maybe Christian buttheads, you know, that are like closed off or like, no getting in, right? So we want to we leave room for some people to jump on. But if we go too much, we're like only about 20, 30% of us are connected. I mean, that's not ideal. We would want the majority, and that's why we just kind of throw 80% of our people in connection groups. And by God's grace, we're doing well at that mark. Here's amusing as I was meeting with a college student this week. Luke really challenges, said, if you, want to, if you want people to really obey God, it first starts with knowing him, loving him, and then obedience. And one of the things I feel like the Lord's working on my heart is we challenge each other. We say, you really should love people. 
Jesus tied it together. Love the God, Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, mind. Secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. We're commanded to love our neighbor. One of the connections I think that God's working in my heart is how can you love the people even in this context if you don't really know them? Does that make sense? Your love for them can only be as deep as your knowledge of them. But once you start to get to know them and you know what they're going through, you know the wrestles, then maybe you might be able to pray for them more specifically. You might be able to show up timely with that meal. Like you might be able to help them out with a house project because you know what they've got going on. You might be able to help them move because they closed on the house, all those things. You have to know people to really love them. Does that make sense? Don't you want to be known in that way? My guess is the person sitting in front of you or beside you wants to be known in that same way. And we do that through this connecting, through connection groups. As a pastor, I can't get to know everyone in this church. Well, maybe at this point I could. But as we are, Lord willing, grow, we're going to need to really have more or less little churches meeting in houses with leaders really shepherding that flock well. All part of the bigger thing, but again, Acts 2, that that breaking out into homes, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and sharing bread. And so that's where we find the biblical like command uh, or representation to do that. And the last one is contribute. And again, you see this in Acts where they gave freely. None of them had needs because they, they really kind of threw in together. And so contribute is the last C. And this means we want people to celebrate, get connected. And then the last kind of step in that is contribute. That means time, talents, treasures, right? To give back. And in fact, you got a card when you walked in about ways in which you can join the team and serve. We want to take that serious. We want you to have a level of ownership that the church, the gathering of God's people, is there's an ownership for all those coming, and so that you would really be able to serve with your time. Give of your talents. And if your talent belongs up on this stage, like certainly if you're an actual drummer and you didn't teach yourself in the month of December, like we would want to know that. Uh, and guys, it, it also means giving financially. If we're going to continue to adopt babies in and help families do that, love this community, even celebrate well with the sound equipment, Pay for the staff that meets with students, our, our, our ministry to, to college students. If we're going to continue to send people overseas, again, as we just did, and we're going to do again this spring, all those things take money. And so people giving generously. And I would say this, of the three C's, honestly, I think contribute is our strongest in Anthem Church. I really genuinely mean that. The giving for a church plant is ridiculous. You guys have jumped on board and given so generously to start out. It is, it's amazing. I, we're still like, our sending churches are supporting us. And I, I have a hard time of like being completely honest with how generous our people have been. I'm like, you guys keep writing your checks, but just know like our people are being generous and go figure that, that we started with 30 people that move and sold homes and got new jobs. And so you're starting with a pretty generous core, but the people that God has given us to jump on, even like the, the, the talents, I was emailing a guy this week. I'm saying, Hey, would you be able to help us with this? Knowing full well, the guy's had a new baby. He's uh, teaching a class. He's uh, working on, I don't know, 
are you doctorate? Right? <laughs> like something like that. Like John Mark. And he's like, I'd be willing. That would uh, excite me. The willingness to give, I'm saying, contribute. We certainly want to be about that. And the pace that, that this group is setting in that is genuinely encouraging. And so I would want to invite you into that. And again, the, the three C's, we want to celebrate, connect, contribute. We think that that is, that is, if you start putting like kind of names to it, that's how disciples are going to get made. And so that's kind of the process. And so I've got a prop that I want to bring up here. And so, um, so the reality is as a church, like we want to do these things, but we're fairly young. You can just go, come on, right on up here. This is my wife and this is our child, right? So have you guys met Janessa? She's, she's really cute. Hey, it's daddy. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. I know. Yeah. We're just going to hang out here. Okay. This is how old our church is. Really, like, okay, Janessa's two days younger than our church. But this is Anthem Church right now in some regards. And I feel like this is a really good visual representation. Like, we're, none of you guys are hearing me, are you? You're just looking at the baby? Okay. <laughs> Whoa, don't startle her now. Guys, we're young and we're fragile. And the reality is, is we got to teach drummers. They got to be self-taught in order to start out. Um, things are, are going to be a challenge. In fact, Austin, I'm not going to have you come up, but part of me wanted to like, see Austin, can you wave at least, the bearded man back there? Like if I, said, if I was holding Austin in my arms right now, can you imagine that? I'm like, this is Anthem Church, you know, it's four months old or whatever. You'd be like, ooh, gross. Like, <laughs> like a four-month-old church, and I, and I mean this, like think about it, a four-month-old church shouldn't be like that. This is what a four-month-old looks like. She is four months, right? Okay. It's our fourth one. Give me a break, right? <laughs> this is what a four-month-old church looks like. It's going to be messy, right? Hang out. I'm surprised she hadn't spit up on me yet. There's going to be challenges, but it's part of the growth process. And believe it or not, that gargantuan man back there was this size at one time. It's a process. And as a church, we're embarking on a process. We're saying it's worth it. And one of the sweet illustrations Todd was giving me as we were working through this is just this idea that that you're planting a church. It's like planting a little tree. And the hope is that that tree will grow up and it'll bear seeds. And those seeds will fall and other trees will be started. That's how Anthem got started. In fact, it's a seed of a seed, right? Cornerstone was healthy and started a church in Cedar Falls. And that church has gone on to start us. And here's the thing. We want to start more churches. But part of that is by having a healthy tree. And we need to grow this thing. And I just wanted to give you the visual that this thing has got some ways to grow. Anthem Church has got some ways to grow. And how it's going to grow is through our people coming together and meeting those needs. The body working together, all the different parts. And so I want you to invite you to be a part of that. And if you're not there, uh, on the, think about the C's, right? You got the first one because you're listening to the sermon, unless you're listening at home. Um, you, you've got the sermon, you're here, so you're celebrating. Have you moved on to that next step of connecting? And if you're at connecting, are you contributing? Those things kind of flow together. And again, if you've got um, kind of questions about, really, is that the only mode? I'd love to have those conversations because I'm telling you, I want to be a man of the word and take our cues from what God has to say. 
And so I just want to give us an opportunity to reflect on where we're at and reflect on the state of the church. And I would hope that you would pray. You can pray for my little girl and you'd pray for our little church, that God would protect her. Because again, this is the mode. It's through the local church. And it's fragile right now. And your words towards our local church, towards other churches, man, let them be edifying. Let them be building up. And we need to protect God's church and we need to work together because it is plan A. There is no good plan B. I'm gonna pray for us. Jesus, thank you for allowing this church to be had. And Lord, would you please protect us in our infancy? I think of just how needy Janessa is. I think of how needy our church is. And God, I thank you for, for people coming in and willing to be the body. I thank you for John Mark and Christy and, and the Butterfields. God, you are bringing people to build this place up. Thank you for our college students. Thank you for the community people. And Lord, we do want to band together, not acting like we're on some cruise ship where it's all about us, and, um, but we want to band together and really be that aircraft carrier that we get built up here and get sent out. Would you please grow Anthem and grow our ability to really influence kind of a, a, a world that is in darkness that needs you. So Lord, would you please, um, please grow Anthem by growing its individuals that they would better know you, love you, and obey you, and that we would, as a church, really celebrate well, really connect to each other, really knowing people to love them, and that we would selflessly contribute and through that whole process that disciples would get made and churches, more churches, gatherings of people would be started. To you alone be the glory. Amen.